Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. I'm excited this morning on so many levels I can't begin to tell you. So since I can't begin, let's just start with the study, and it maybe will come dripping out piece by piece. We're in Acts chapter 13. Uh, as you remember, in Acts chapter 11 uh, and 12, we started seeing persecution breaking out against the church. James, uh, the brother of John, the apostle John, James was killed by Herod, uh, one of the many Herods. There was a lineage of them. Um, and uh, then wanted to do the same to Peter. Peter got put in jail, but an angel came and broke him out, right? And he goes to the house of Mary, uh, John Mark's uh, mom, and uh, knock, 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 knock on the door, and, and it's kind of a fun thing. He finally got in. And uh, then f after that, Herod, for all of his wickedness, was just uh, out uh, strutting and, and, and being all glorious, vain glorious, and the Lord struck him down. It says he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> Verse 24 of chapter 12, after all that, it says, but the Word of God grew and multiplied. Now, the Word of God grew. It grew more intense, more uh, powerful, more effective in the lives of the believers, its impact in the church, and it multiplied, which is to say it didn't just stay in one place, but it just started spreading like wildfire. wildfire. <laughs> then I ended last week, we did not read verse 25 because really it's the beginning of what we're coming into today. So here we are, Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Bartimaeus and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John Mark, whose John, I'm sorry, whose surname was Mark. Okay, fulfilled their ministry. Read about that in chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. A prophet by the name of Agabus said, "There's going to be a famine," and so everybody collected an offering for the people in Jerusalem that the saints, the Christians back in Jerusalem, wouldn't suffer and die. This was up in Antioch. We talked about Antioch, the second most profane city in all of the Roman Empire. First was Corinth, but after them, vulgar, vulgar Antioch. And yet this town of a half a million people was busting out in the Holy Spirit. It says Jesus had the upper hand and that saints were just being birthed right and left in the middle of all this wickedness. It'd be kind of like uh, uh, revival breaking out in Las Vegas, right? And all of a sudden, well, that is, I mean, amazing what kind of ministry comes out of Las Vegas. But they, they tapped Barnabas and they tapped Saul and uh, they said, you take the money to Jerusalem. And so they did. And uh, they were able to meet that pressing need at that time. And it says they fulfilled their ministry and they took with them John whose surname was Mark, okay? So they had been up in Antioch, this wicked city. Think of Las Vegas kind of thing. And I'm not picking on you if you're from Las Vegas, but there's a reason it's nicknamed Sin City, okay? Um, and so up in Antioch, here is Saul of Tarsus, right? Rabbi of rabbi, Jews of Jews, the most devout, upright guy. And they just put him into the middle of all this darkness, right? Where sin abounds, Paul shows up right? Grace abounds much more. And so Barnabas, son of encouragement, and Saul of Tarsus, and they bring along John Mark. I love this, bringing along John Mark. Uh, we see him throughout the scriptures. He is actually the one who will write the gospel of John, okay? But at this point, he's a young man, and they've taken, them under, taken him under their wings. They're training up the next generation out on the mission field, just follow me. You know, whatever I do, you do and follow me. That's kind of how we do it here at the church, you know, as far as training up the next generation. Just work alongside me, see what I do. There's no real um, textbook, if you will. This is the textbook for ministry, and we try to walk it out and live it out in front of one another, and we grow. And so, this is what's going on. Uh, verse 13, uh, chapter 13 now, verse 1 
Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and they start listing them. Barnabas, we already know him. Uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so we see more prophets and teachers. These are the leaders of the church in Antioch, the elders, as we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. Um, but it starts off with prophetes, prophets. A prophet is a person who tells forth the Word of God. Whenever you share scriptures with friends, family, loved ones, you are prophesying. You are telling forth the Word of God. That's the ministry of a prophet. Just this is what God said and letting it be known. Also, through the work of the Holy Spirit, a manifestation, a gift of the Holy Spirit, not only did they tell forth the Word of God, but they could foretell what God would be doing. And this is how we kind of often think of prophets, people that can tell us the future in advance. The reason they are able to is because they're hearing from God. God who knows the end from the beginning reveals this to them. Now, there are many people that may claim to be a prophet, but the Scriptures describe in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and on through the balance of the Bible, if a person claims to be a prophet and says something that doesn't come true, stone him. Don't listen to him. Drag him out of the city and be done with him, right? So anytime we have somebody that comes and says, I have the wor a word from the Lord to you, okay, I'll receive that. I'll place it in my heart just as Mary did when the shepherds came, when Jesus was born. She just put it in her heart. She pondered that. And we'll see what comes of this. And if it does come to pass, I can say, wow, that was a word from the Lord. So, this is going on now in Antioch. Remember, this is Gentile country, right? This is, this, they've really detached from the Judaism, the religious rituals of Judaism, and they're just like you and me, just believers in Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, and just going out making the Word of God bigger and multiplying. And so, this is what's happening. There were prophetes, prophets, and um, Didoskalos, which is to say teachers. And I only bring that Greek word in so that you understand. A teacher in this particular case is a teacher especially in religious instruction. These are people who are teaching the Scriptures. They're teaching the Word of God. Now, be mindful that this is the early church in the book of Acts. The epistles have not been written yet, so we don't have fundamentally the New Testament. We don't have the Gospels. We don't have the epistles, but they did have the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you can find everything you need to be saved and go to heaven, right? God has been writing about it from day one, and these teachers were able to open up these scriptures and then explain what the Bible was telling about the Messiah, the promised deliverer, the Christ who is to come and redeem the world from sin. And so, they have in Antioch these elders, okay? Uh, the idea of an elder, um, somebody that is um, tested and approved in their knowledge and their application of the Scriptures. I'll, we'll bump into that in just a minute here. But what we see here in Antioch is an elder-led church. There are various forms of church government, if you want, how people organize the church, who the leadership is, who is uh, what the pecking order is, or all those kinds of things, if you like. Um, in the book of Ephesians, we read in chapter 4, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus Christ, and speaking of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, we read in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, and He, that's Jesus Christ, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to make sure you got what, the tools you need to get her done. For the work of the ministry, that's right, the heavy lifting, the sweat equity, the getting in there and getting her done, and for the edifying or the building up, the strengthening of the body of Christ, the church. So, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, tapped some that would be 
these different offices, apostle, which we know the 12 apostles, prophets, we're reading about them this morning, uh, some evangelists that go out into the world and share the gospel, and pastors and teachers. Now, I talked about church government, and this church in Antioch was governed by a group of elders. There's qualifications for elders that we find in the Scriptures. In 1 Timothy and in Titus, I'm going to read both these lists of qualifications so you understand how these guys came to be who they are. Writing in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I've just added a new word to your list, okay? We've got prophets, we've got teachers, we've got pastors, and now you're adding in bishop. Just to understand, in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says pastor, the word, the Greek word is poimen. Say poimen. Hey, you speak Greek, okay? You don't need to know that, but what you should know is that the word pastor in Greek poimen translates into shepherd, a shepherd of the church. And we know our good shepherd, right, who leads us uh, to lay down in green pastures beside the still waters, right, makes us walk in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. He guards us, He protects us, He provides for us. He is Jesus. But within the church, there are Um, under shepherds, we call them pastors, and their basic duty or responsibility is to look out for the flock, to take care of the flock, to make sure that the flock is healthy. I remember when uh, I was leading missions trips, there was a a dear brother, I love him to death, Alfredo Aceves, and uh, man, we were in a, we were doing ministry in Mexico, and he was fluent Mexican, He, he he was Mexican. He spoke fluent Spanish, right? I spoke some, but he, was, he grew up there, right? And we would be down on mission, and everywhere we'd turn around, everybody going, Pastor, Pastor Alfredo, Pastor Alfredo, he'd come to me, Mike, Mike, I, I'm not a pastor. I'm uncomfortable when they call me pastor. I don't like being called a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I don't have a diploma. I don't have any of that. And I said, Alfredo, pastor means shepherd. You can go to seminary, you can go to college, you can get a diploma, you can get a degree, you can say you've studied, and you can get this thing you hang on your wall, but if you look over your shoulder, nobody's following you. And I remember we were at the uh, grocery store, this big supermarket in uh, Tijuana called Gigantes, and there in the parking lot, he's telling me this once again, I hate it when they call me pastor. And I said, Alfredo, stop. Look over your shoulder and tell me what do you see? And he goes, cars. And I said, what else do you see? And there was the whole mission team that was with us. And I said, Alfredo, that's your flock. You are a shepherd. I don't care if they gave you a piece of paper. God has called you to pastor, and these people are following you. You're leading them, and and that's what a pastor is. Now we come to bishop. That word is episcope, from which we get the, the name for the Episcopal church. Episcope means an overseer. Okay, so much like a pastor who's responsible for overseeing the flock, this bishop, this episcope, just another word. Some churches use it one way, some churches use it another, but it basically means the same thing. They're responsible for overseeing the ministry of the church, right? And not just possibly um, the, 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 the state or condition of the flock, but even things that might go on to uh, financial issues or legal issues or those kinds of things. So, it's the same difference. A pastor, a bishop, they do basically the same job. And then I'm going to say it as we get into it here in just a minute, there's also the elder. And the elder comes from the Greek word presbyteros. Anybody want to guess what denomination named themselves after presbyteros? Presbyterian is just pre- the Presbyterian church. And so their church government is around elders leading the church, a group of elders. The Episcopal church, that follows after a bishop who oversees the church. And then back in Ephesians, it says God gave some to be pastors and teachers. And that connects them that it's one person, two jobs. 
One is to oversee the flock. The other part is to be able to teach, to have been taught to know the Word of God and then be able to effectively share the Word of God. So that's a pastor-teacher. I bring you all these things to now describe the qualifications of these elders, bishops, pastors, teachers. It says in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. That's a good thing to be called to that ministry. A bishop then must be, now listen to the characteristics of a bishop, and then look for the qualifications of a bishop. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. There we go, able to teach. That's actually a qualification. So far, it's been characteristics, able to teach, not given to wine, back to characteristics, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, a rookie, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. He needs to be tested. It says, moreover, he must have a good testimony. Again, these are all characteristics of a bishop, an elder, a pastor. He must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of a devil. And I'm going to read for you then out of Titus the same similar list, but just so that you get the whole enchilada here. In Titus, in chapter 1, verse 5, writing to Titus, Paul, writing to Titus, he says, for this reason I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And so everywhere that Paul went, he preached the gospel, and then people were, they received it, they believed it, they became born again, they needed organization, they needed leadership, they needed somebody to teach them, and it was Paul's duty or the missionary's duty to find that person who was able to lead this group of people. In this case, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to do that job. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, and now we go down the list of characteristics, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine nor violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and convict those who contradict. So this is the description of this person that would be qualified to be an elder or a pastor teacher, a bishop um, in the church. Now, two qualifications. They must be holy. They must be holy means set apart by God. This is not something that you take to yourself. You don't say, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to study. I'm going to get a diploma. I'm hanging on a wall, and I'll be a pastor. That's not how it works. This is a calling. God puts a calling on your life. In fact, I often tell people who come to me, and they say they want to be a pastor. I taught in Bible college for many years. I heard a lot of these people, and I said, dude, because it was always guys. Um, If there's anything else you can do, anything else you can do, I would do that. Unless you absolutely have to, as Jeremiah would say, there was a burning in my bones and I couldn't help but preach the word. I just had to let her out. I couldn't stop myself. Because you will be drawing a huge bullseye on your back. And when you step up into that position of leading, you make an easy target for the enemy 
pastors come under all kinds of condemnation. The Bible says not many of you should teach because you will be subject to a greater condemnation. Judge, God will judge you if you step up into that position and then don't fulfill it in a way that honors the Lord. So you have to be holy and you have to be able to teach, able to convict, able to contradict those who are contrary to you. And so, we've got these different people. Barnabas, we see wonderful guy, son of encouragement, great prophet. We see uh, Saul in here. Simeon, or uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. That word Niger is Latin for black. And so, we don't know a lot about these guys, but just little clues called black. It's interesting if you go into the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 15 at verse 21, as Jesus was carrying His cross up to uh, Golgotha, Calvary, the Romans grabbed up this guy sitting along the side of the road that had come there to worship at Passover. His name was Simon, um, and he was uh, um, of Cyrene. And here we see another Simon. Also, we see it could be the same guy speculation, but interesting. Here he is up in Antioch. In the back of the book of Romans, Paul also says, say hi to Rufus and Alexander, whose father was Simon, the guy who carried the cross. So, very likely, this is the guy who carried Jesus' cross, and now he's an elder up in Antioch, right? We've got Barnabas, we've got Simon, we've got uh, Lucius of Cyrene. Again, this is a city on the east, northeast coast of the Mediterranean, not too far from Antioch. And Manaean, this is a very interesting guy. It says that he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was the guy who presided at Jesus's trial, and he's also the guy who took off the head of John the Baptist. And yet this guy, Manaean, grew up it's like they went to school together. They did life together. And here Herod takes this fork in the road and just becomes this evil, wicked person. And here's Manan. He's an elder in the church of Ephesus. I just love it when I go back and visit my hometown and I visit my family, especially some of the ancient ones, right, that have known me since I'm a little kid. And they love to just snicker and giggle that I'm a pastor. They just can't believe Mike became a pastor. I could tell you stories about Mike. Well, I could tell you stories about you too. But God, but God. And here Manan, he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, but he's an elder in the church. And Saul, and it says, as they ministered to the Lord. So this is what they're doing in Antioch, these elders, this leadership. It says they ministered to the Lord. And so you understand this word ministered really is best translated while they were worshiping the Lord, and uh, it's the word liturgeo, from which we get the word liturgy. If you know high church, they have different things that they do in the church, different duties and responsibility. So this ministering or this worshiping, this serving is serving in the position of a priest, according to the Levitical priesthood, that they were administering the sacraments of forgiveness of sins and receiving of offerings, and, and they were holding that office in the church. And so, they weren't just ministering, like, I got the parking lot closest to the back door because I'm the pastor. That's not what it means. That's not how we do it here. But it meant that they were serving. They were servants of the Lord, and they were just busy doing it, worshiping, praising, praying, offering. We read about this in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes this in verse 1, encouraging each of us, I beseech you, that means you, that means me, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, act of worship, ministry. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove in your act of service, your worship to the Lord, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so this is what these elders did. They, you almost want to say sat around, worshiping, but they didn't sit around. They were up. They were on their feet. They were in it. They rolled up their sleeves and they got her done. These are workers in the church, the head of the church, the leaders. 
qualified, as we've seen in Timothy and Titus, and here, busy about the Lord's business. They ministered to the Lord, not to themselves, not to the flock, but to the Lord, first things first. I always tell anybody that wants to go into ministry, and I'm often asked to speak to classes in Bible college and whatnot, and it seems like I've got one little hobby horse that I love to ride with all the students. I'm like, I know I could come and tell you all kinds of things about ministry, but you need to hear me clearly. The most important thing, are you ready? Write it down. The most important thing is your walk with Jesus. You can't help anybody until you get that right. And that's what these guys did. They ministered to the Lord. They served the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. That was first and foremost, and then everything flows out of that. They ministered to the Lord and fasted. Fasted is this idea of denying yourself. It can be denying yourself food or water. We're very familiar with that kind of dietary fast, but it can be abstaining from anything of your fleshly or carnal desires. A wonderful fast, I highly recommend it, is a cell phone fast or a social media fast. I know I just stepped on a whole bunch of toes. But seriously, and you all know I'm right, there's no doubt in the room we all could use it. What happens when we deny ourselves our social media or whatever? We open up room for God to come into our life. It's no longer all about us. We're emptying ourselves that we can be filled with God. And so, fasting and prayer, they're often combined in the Scriptures. Prayer is connecting with God. Fasting is disconnecting with yourself, with your desires and your flesh. And so, this is what they're doing. They're worshiping and they're fasting. In Acts, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 58, we read about fasting. God after all you've read in the Bible about fasting, make sure if you have a little uh, concordance of fasting and where it occurs in the Bible, you absolutely want to have Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 7. I'll read it to you. This is God speaking now. Is this not the fast that I, and I'll say God, has chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring your house, you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover them, and you do not hide yourself from your own flesh? That's seriously fasting. It's denying yourself and looking to others and looking to their needs, meeting their needs. It says in verse 8, Isaiah goes on, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He'll say, Here I am. This is what the church in Antioch was doing. This is what the elders of the church in Antioch were doing. And so, as they do this, they're ministering, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, this is the Holy Spirit giving them a commandment. Was it audible, or was it something they sensed in the Spirit? We don't know. We do know it came from the Holy Spirit, the Scripture clearly says, this is God, Holy Spirit, speaking, and He says, and He's giving a command now. He said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Separate unto me. That's the same idea of making holy. I want you to, to fence them off and put them in a special category because I have something I need to do with them. If you remember when Saul first met Jesus on the road to Damascus and went into town, and a man by the name of Ananias came to pray with him, this is what the Lord told Ananias to tell Saul in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, 
for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so God already had spoken as to what he wanted to use Saul for. Now here we are, almost 15 years later, then Ananias had laid hands on Saul and he restored his life. Saul got up and began preaching in Damascus. He ran off to Arabia for three years. He was alone with the Lord through revelation, meeting Jesus, being informed of the Scriptures. Comes back, goes up to Jerusalem. They receive him in Jerusalem. He goes back and then he goes back to Tarsus where he was ministering for years until we just saw that Barnabas went and is looking for Saul and says, man, we could use Saul up in Antioch. These, these heathen, these Gentiles, they need a guy that knows what's up. And Barnabas found Saul, brought him up to Antioch. Antioch, all these things are going on. And now the Holy Spirit speaks to the elders, people full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and godliness. He says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Probably one of the classic statements that you'll hear in doing these things. If you remember in Titus, Titus was commanded to set in order the things that are lacking, appointing elders, appointing bishops, appointing pastor, teachers. Set this order and appoint them. The word for appoint is the word ordination. Ordinate. Ordinate. Make it official. Make it solemn. Make it public so that the world knows that God, the Holy Spirit, said, set these men apart for the work that I have called them to. That's what ordination is. Now, as I said earlier, you can go to seminary and they can give you a diploma, and a lot of times they'll give you an ordination. In fact, if <laughs> they, you can go online and for a certain fee at certain places, you can get a certificate. It says, I'm an ordained minister and I can perform marriages, and people do all this kind of stuff just to make money. Craziness. But ordination or setting apart actually comes from God. It's a call from God on a person's life. And when God taps that person, anoints that person, gifts that person, and that person accepts it and receives it and gets busy ministering in the calling that God has called them to, the church witnesses that. The church can see the ordination of God, the anoint of God on that person. And over time, the church can all say, that guy, that's, that's the guy God chose. That's the guy God tapped to be a pastor, to be a leader in a church. And again, one of the funniest things I think in, in all of this is that when <laughs> the church finally, through observation over a period of time, let them not be novices, let them be seasoned in the work, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But over time, when the church finally sees that, the, the saying that goes around, if it's honestly, I believe, a work of God, it's like, this ordination is long overdue. Because we've been watching it for a long time. But we don't want to be hasty in our pronouncement. But there comes a time where you look at yourself and you go, this is long overdue. Two. I'd like to ask the elders and Dallas and Frankie to come up here. You go ahead. Yeah, you guys stand in the middle. As you probably know, if you've been here any length of time, Jeff, Jerry, and Dallas are our elders at the church, along with me. And we recognize something that is long overdue.
that God has anointed these two gentlemen, Dallas and Frankie, as pastor teachers in our church. And it's something that just like the elders did, they laid hands on them. They ordained them and they set them apart for the work of the ministry. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 15, encouragement to Timothy. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We read that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every work. Paul goes on then to say to Timothy, and I say to you, Dallas, and I say to you, Frankie, and if you guys would lay hands on them. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As my pastor, Gerald Hagerman, said to me the day I was ordained, I say to you, preach the word and minister life. If you all would bow your hands, extend your hands towards them, if you're in agreement, Lord Jesus, we recognize your work in these men's lives. We've watched and we know that they are chosen by you for this special work of pastor, teacher, that we see the evidence, we see the fruit, we see the flocks that follow them. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you put your hand on them long before we even recognized it. But today, as a church family, we recognize Pastor Dallas Bruderer and Pastor Frankie Ortega in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Stay up here. Amen. I'd like to read this to you. It says, The Springs Calvary Chapel Certificate of Ordination. We, the undersigned, upon the recommendation and request of the Springs Calvary Chapel, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging the God-given gifts, Christian experience, call to ministry, and views of Bible doctrine, hereby certify that Dallas R. Bruderer and Frankie Ortega was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained to the work of pastor by the authority and order of the Springs Calvary Chapel on the fourth day of February, 2024. And we read from 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. And it's signed by the elders. If you guys want to just scrunch in here, I'd like to just get a quick picture with everybody. <laughs> Can you see us? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Love you. Thank you. Woo! Long overdue. So now, if you so choose, just like it bothered Pastor Alfredo, you can call them Pastor Dallas and Pastor Frankie, and you'll be right in line. Continuing on, 
in the book of Acts. And having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. <gasps> Did you read that part? <laughs> one of the things that you will find in the Scriptures over and over and over again, and one of the things you'll find in church life over and over again, my pastor, Pastor Bob Wagner of Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel, would always tell me, God always takes the best ones. And you work to raise up the next generation to the Lord, knowing that they're the Lord's. And whatever God has for them and calls them to, it's our job to give them to God and let Him decide where they go or what they do. There are no surprises this morning. Frankie and Dallas aren't going anywhere <laughs> that I know of today. But as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, anointed by God and separated unto God, you recognize His call is above any other call. And should the Lord ever call you, it is with joy and a bittersweet heart that we will stand behind you and say, we know them. They're men of God. Go for it. So, they sent them away. Now, Quickly, I want to show what happens here because it's kind of funny. We had this conversation, a couple of us. This actually happened. We ratified it at a board meeting a week ago. So they've been technically uh, set apart from that time and, and pastor. But instantly, as soon as that happened, all of a sudden the phone's ringing and they're dealing with grief and trials and hardship. And it's like, yeah, welcome to the shepherd business. There are those sheep that go astray. There are those wolves that prey on the sheep. It's hard work. Okay, they've been doing the hard work for years, but it's funny. As soon as we prayed for this, it was on Saturday afternoon, that evening, <laughs> it's like, oh, what just happened to me, right? That's part of the business. So here we see it right here. It comes to pass in the Scriptures. Verse 4, so being set out by the Holy Spirit, I want to make sure that I emphasize that, it's the Holy Spirit that sends people out. It's the Holy Spirit who moves the pieces on the chessboard. I believe in my heart that if we would each, every single one of us, submit to the will of God in our life, that we would worship God, we would minister to God, we would serve God, we would pray, we would fast, we would make Jesus our number one priority, and we would hear from God. If we were all obedient to the thing that God called me to do and you to do, God can easily move every piece on the chessboard and cover the bases. And we don't have to be all clever about it. We just have to each one of us follow the Lord. So they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to Seleucia. That is the port city on the Orontes River, about 15 miles from Antioch. They went down to the port, Seleucia, and they sailed to Cyprus. This is an island out in the Mediterranean. It happens to be the island that Barnabas comes from. That's his home town, his home turf. And when they arrived in Salamis, so this is where they first uh, docked as they came across the Mediterranean, they'd be on the east side of Cyprus. When they came to Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And so this is a pattern. You're going to watch this pattern throughout the Scriptures. Even Jesus followed this pattern and that He went to the Jews first. They were the ones who received the revelation. They're the ones that had the prophet. They're the ones that had the gospel. They're the ones that had the Messiah. And so our salvation comes from Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. We come to Jesus through His Word, His witness, His Holy Spirit. And, and so they go to the, the, the if you want to say churches, right, they, they would go to the synagogues because these people knew what the Scripture said, and so they would go to the synagogues to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about the guy in your Bible, the Messiah. He's here. He saved us from our sins. He's God Almighty. He's in heaven. He's praying for us, and they would go, and they would share this good news. First, anytime they came to town, they'd find a synagogue and say, hey, that thing you've been reading about, waiting for it, happened. It's here. Let's get on board, right? And so they went there. They also had John as their assistant, John Mark. We're going to see some interesting things with John Mark. He has a bumpy road. 
as far as the record shows. Um, but yet in all of it, just remember, he's the guy who writes the gospel of Mark, right? So God, even through the bumps, twists, and turns, wasn't done with him yet. He had a really important job for John Mark, but it starts as he's the understudy, right? The assistant. Um, in verse 6, now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elumas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Okay? So they, they land in Cyprus, they go to the synagogue, they preach, and now they trek across the island. It's about 100 miles across the island. They've walked it, and they come now to the capital of uh, Cyprus, a town by the name of Paphos. And this is where the governor would be. We see his name is Sergius Paulus. We, we see these different governors in the Roman Empire. We've seen Pontius Pilate uh, later in the book of Acts. We're going to see Antonius Felix or Porcius Festus. They're going to come up. And these are guys appointed by the Roman Senate to rule over different regions. Now, if a region was unruly and wasn't peaceful or docile, then they wouldn't have the Senate oversee them, but they would have the emperor himself oversee them with the legions, with the troops and the soldiers. That's a little bit of what was going on in Jerusalem. But here, everybody's happy, campers, they're Greek, Romans, life is good. And so now they're coming. This is Barnabas's home island to preach the gospel. They come into the capital, um, and they found a certain sorcerer or magician, a false prophet, which is to say he was not correct. What do we do with false prophets? Okay, you've been paying attention. It's not going to be a good future for this guy. He's a false prophet. He's a Jew, okay? So he's speaking forth the Scriptures, and yet he's doing it incorrectly. He's not rightly dividing the word of truth, but he's putting his own little twists and turns on it. A false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That's his name. Bar means son. Jesus, we know who Jesus is. It was actually a very, very common name in the ancient Greek and Roman Empire. So it'd be no different than saying Mike or John or Robert or something like that. But he's got the name as a prophet of the Jews, son of Jesus. Okay? Does that sit awkward in you? It's like you got a piece of popcorn in your throat. I don't want to say that, okay? And his name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul. The proconsul. This is the governor, Sergius Paulus. He's appointed by the Roman Senate to oversee the affairs of the island of Cyprus. It says he's an intelligent man. He wasn't. And, and just so, and as Luke, the doctor, writes this about people in his day and age, he doesn't always call people intelligent. In order to be referred to as intelligent, you got to be intelligent. He wasn't a dimwit, right? He wasn't a low-watt bulb. He, was, he, he had it together. And, uh, and so this is no doubt why he was appointed to oversee the island, because he was smart, he was wise, he was brilliant, he could get her done. And I bring all this up because you look at people that are wise, brilliant, and how sometimes they can be brought under the influence of some of the stupidest things. Uh, evolution. BLM, CRT, DEI, woke. They've got college degrees. They've got diplomas. They call themselves doctors, and they're duped. Well, here is Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the Word of God. Okay, I hear these guys are in town. Everybody knows about them. Everywhere they go, people start talking about it. Revival breaks out. People are being saved. Something's happening on my island. I want to know what's going on. Bring me Barnabas. Bring me Saul. You guys explain yourselves. Verse 8, but Elumas, um, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated. This is interesting as Luke writes down the name of this person it's like that popcorn got stuck in his throat. He doesn't even want to call him 
bar Jesus. That's just, I can't even give him the dignity and the honor. He's such a, a, a fake, such a poser. I'm not going to put that title on him. So he uses an Arabic or a, um, a, a Semitic word, Illumus, which means a wise person, or a magus, as we've seen, the magician, the magi, who came to Jerusalem to find Jesus, who was born the king, right? The three wise guys. Uh, and so, but Illumus uh, is just a nickname they're calling him. He's just the sorcerer. Withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the fight. So here we go. Pastor Barnabas, Pastor Saul, Pastor Frankie, Pastor Dallas, welcome to the rodeo. You're in town, revival's breaking out, the governor would like to talk to you about what's going on, you're happy to share, and up shows this so-called wise guy, this magician, this sorcerer who's now going to argue with you. Man, if you want to see that, you can actually see it real time, right now. Just get in your car and drive to Boise and walk into the state capitol. It's legislation season, and there's all kinds of idiots running around. It's insane, and I say that, and you laugh, but I am not kidding. These people, some of them are so unhinged. They are so not in their right mind. I don't even know that they have a mind to be in, and I, I, I digress, but this is what's happening withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the truth. Verse 9, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, epi, right? The Holy Spirit who comes alongside you, para, who comes into you as you're born again, en, but then who overflows you with His manifestation of whatever gifts He wants to use. And in this case, He's going to make Paul a powerful evangelist and even a worker of miracles. This will be Paul's first miracle. And you notice I called him Paul. This is the first place in the Bible we see Saul now called Paul. Saul, humbled, submitted, set apart, just going toe-to-toe with this son of the devil, and God fills him with the Holy Spirit. And from now on, throughout the book of Acts and all of the epistles, he's going to be referred to as Paul. Saul, his name meant asked of God or prayed for by God. Paul means little or small. Do you know that when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new name? The Bible tells us in Revelation that you're going to get a special new name of God, Jesus, picked just for you. And when you get there, you're going to love it when He walks up to you and says, oh, you, you're little. You're shorty, right? Really? For all of eternity, I have to be Paul? That's right. Take you down a notch. Just put a little bit of lid on that exuberance that you've got, Right? We just not to kind of just tone it down a notch? Well, he's full of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit isn't a ranter and a raver. In fact, he's usually called a still small voice. And I'm sure as we read this, it's easiest for us to think that he's confronting this guy, you son of a devil. But I honestly believe he's probably just full of the Holy Spirit and he's talking like a sane person. Full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. What is his name? Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. But Paul uses a little dig here. You're not Bar-Jesus, you're the son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Wow. It's, do you remember Simon the sorcerer that we ran into in chapter 8? 
And they had to send down Peter and John to confront him because he wanted to buy this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gospel power. How much is it going to cost me that I can have that kind of power and influence? And here we see this sorcerer, this magician, who is perverting the straight ways of God, not rightly dividing the word of truth, but doing all kinds of things to build up his name and his reputation and all about him. And now for the first time, we see Saul, Hebrew of Hebrews, Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, member of the Sanhedrin, papers to go persecute Christians. Now, little Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, puts him in his place. And the Holy Spirit, it says, overflowing him, springing forth, fountains of the Holy Ghost. He just says, you're going dark. You don't want to have anything to do with the light? Great. We're taking it away from you. And he went blind. Wow. You could use that on some of your friends, huh? <laughs> the hand of the Lord, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. This is the first recorded miracle of Paul in the Scriptures. Now that he's little... Now that he's Paul, now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, now that he's ordained, now that he's set apart, now that he's about the work that the church has sent him to do, we're going to see more before this is over. Verse 12, and the proconsul believed. You think? You're blind. <laughs> I can't see. Whoa. What's this thing about Jesus? Tell me one more time. <laughs> wow. It's fun because in the next section, starting at verse 13, we're not going to go there today, you're going to start seeing the same message that Paul would preach everywhere he goes. It's called the gospel, the good news. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. To little ones, he belongs. To Paul, he belongs. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's our message. I love to say, it's just like, I'm a preacher. I got one string on my guitar. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Preach the word. Preach the word. Minister life. Minister life. Don't get off that road. Keep it straight. Keep it narrow. And you will see God go before you. He'll be your foreguard. He'll be your rearguard. He'll be in your ministry. Fruit will flow from it as we've already seen. Just stay down that road. The proconsul believed when he saw what he had done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. How many of you can give testimony that you walked through this world lost, messed up, confused, until somebody shared God's Word with you, alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, doing surgery on our heart, and the proconsul was astonished at the Word of God. This is why we teach the Word of God. You know why? Because that's what saved me, and that's my guitar string, and that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and I know you're here for that very same reason, and that's what you then can do. Just pick up your Bible and share it with your friends. Read it, study it, have it in your heart, and God will bring it forward, and you will see amazing things in your life. Amen? Amen. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. No doubt a landmark day for us, a watershed moment for us as a church. But every day is like that, Lord. There's not a time that we don't come together as your people, that we don't see you moving in our midst. Lives healed. Lives changed. And we just thank you for that again this morning. You are so faithful as we go forward in your name and in your word and in your Holy Spirit that you bring about that which you set forth. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, this morning, as we remember this day, we'll remember that you do what you say you will do, including everything 
until we see you in heaven. Help us just to walk close to you in Jesus' name. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.